We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. It is fight week. Wilder versus Fury. We are hype. We are back in the same city. What's up, Vegas? I am back from Bristol to cover this fight. The old man is here as well. We're not yet at our steak dinner, but trust me, it is going to happen. I owe this man a steak for winning a bet. So listen, Dre, you're going to get your steak Don't worry about it, but this show is packed today, talking a ton of boxing, talking about some other fun aspects as well, and then to wrap up the show today, we have an interview with John Frankel from HBO, HBO Correspondent. It is an amazing interview, talking about Patrick Day, who is the boxer who passed away in October after his fight. They're doing a special on Real Sports about it. We dive into that, ask him everything from, you know, talking to Patrick's mother, Patrick's brothers, his trainer. It's crazy. It's an interview. You guys definitely want to stick around and hear. But first, hold on. Let me take a sip of my White Claw. Ah, delicious. Dre, 
We're in the city, baby. It's Vegas time. You know what? I, I miss being around here with you. I miss the urban loitering, which hopefully we see this week. I miss it all. I, I love this big fight feel. Yeah, dude. I'm going to be honest. Like, you know, I just got back from Anaheim for the Ryan Garcia fight, which we'll talk about in a minute, which was actually a really fun week. Um, and I was looking at the fight calendar. And it's like, this week we have Wilder Fury. Next week I go to Texas because we got uh, Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas. And then right after that we have UFC. But this particular fight week feels... And I don't know if it's because of all the goddamn ads y'all been running. And it's oh, like, a ton. It's been drilled into my head. But I've already been looking forward to this fight. And then the BT Sports promos have been fucking excellent. But this fight feels big. Like It does. Heavyweight boxing. This is what heavyweight boxing is supposed to feel like. Like, I legitimately... And we'll talk about it when we preview this fight. Like, they're two big personalities, two big stars. That you don't... You really have no idea who's going to win or how. It's not one of those fights, like... Even Mayweather-Pacquiao... Where you said, "Oh, maybe Floyd will win," but you kind of was like, "It's going to be a decision." Pacquiao's probably not going to knock out Floyd. Um, and even other fights, like Spence Porter, was big to me because I really wanted to see that fight. But it wasn't big, big. Like this feels like I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. This fight can end in one round. It can go twelve rounds. I don't know who's going to win. I know nothing. And then hopefully, because of all the ads that's been ran and all the people that are coming out, it's the end of February. Well, middle of February. It's like. I just want this to be an amazing fight week, and I'm legitimately excited for this fight week. Legitimately. Doesn't happen too often. I know, man. Me too. I've been telling people all week that I'm so excited, and in my travels, I heard something. I was like, you know what? I got to ask the old man about this, because it's something that's weird to me. I was talking to someone, and you know how you joke with someone and be like, damn, I got to be like you when I grow up. Like, oh, you're big time. And I was joking, and they came back dead straight face and they're like big time they're like you made it and i was like what they're like no you you made it like you're that guy like yo like you're right there. and i was like it made me feel uncomfortable like to the point where i was just kind of like ah stop playing and then switch the subject but i was like yo i feel like andres has gotten this for dumb long i gotta ask him like Am I weird for feeling weird because someone said that to me? And this is the first time, probably since I've been at ESPN, in a non-joking manner, someone looked at me and was like, nah, yo, dead ass. Like, you made it. Yeah, like, I don't know. For me, I'll take compliments. I mean, I usually take compliments very well. I know you're kind of a weird guy, and you don't like compliments or praise or anything jolly. But usually I take compliments as tried. This one felt weird. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's... For the most part, what ends up happening is people who don't know what I do tell me how great I'm doing. Like, I, I have a lot of people who really don't know what the fuck I do. They're just like, ah, you work at the zone. I'm, they, they don't really know, like, I'm a senior editor. Like, I do on-camera stuff. I do off-camera stuff. I go to tons of meetings. Like, they have no idea what goes into what I do. And they're all like, you did it. And I'm just like, dude. You know what the fuck I do. So how could you say I did anything? It just sounds good in theory. It's like I work for a streaming service. Like you work at ESPN, so you have the brand attached to you as well. So it's like people say you did it. I never let it get to my head. No matter what I've done, Grammys, Billboard, Jay-Z stuff, documentaries. Like I, I listen to those compliments. I go, thank you. I thank everybody that says that stuff. And when people say they were inspired by something that I've done, thank you. I appreciate that. But I can I can't get let it get to my head because 
this is gonna sound to some people this sound weird. My paycheck doesn't say that I made it, even though my paycheck is fine and you know I make good money. Like I always see somebody that's like making more. And I'm like fuck, I need more money, and I oh, do yeah. it all the time. <laughs> so it's like when people like you made it, and I'm like, yeah, like it looks great on the outside what I do, but I want more, and that's just always gonna be who no matter what I do. Like when I see somebody. For instance, Matthew Cherry won the uh, the Academy Award. Academy Award, um, yeah, the Oscar for Hair Love, and I'm looking at him, and it's like you know I followed him on Twitter for a while, and I DM'd him when he got nominated and all that shit, and I was like, I need to be like that guy, or like Lena Waithe. I was like, I need to be like you. Talk about made it. Like I've met a lot of people who I feel like are so far ahead of me, and I'm just like, no, nah, I haven't made it yet. Like I made it to you because you don't know what I do, but then I look at these people, and I'm like, they made it, made it. So yeah. I am a weird guy. I have a hard time accepting compliments because I don't feel like I've gotten that far. I just don't. I don't see it. Yeah. See, I figured I'd ask you because I know you're weird about these things. And like to me, it's cool. Yes, that Disney check does clear a little bit different. It feels great. I'm not going to lie. Don't tell my ex-wife slash baby mama this because she'll just try to get more money. Especially after the comments last week. So let's let's keep this one on the hush between us. Um, but like hearing that statement and I was telling like Elena, I was like talking to her and I was just like, yo, it's so weird because nothing has changed for me. I, I, I still record our podcast out of the guest room closet every week like people don't see this like you guys don't hear this but i record this in a closet like i I go to work like i'm on campus but i don't really even notice when i'm there that i'm at espn i've i've worked this much and this hard for eight years when i wasn't making damn near anything to do it i haven't changed at all and when that person said it i was like no yeah thanks and i laughed it off because that's the only thing i could like think of but i was like Yo, I, by my actions, I've been this successful for eight years. The brand wasn't behind me. ESPN, you know, wasn't attached to my name. Or, you know, it was funny. I was listening to the Rassle Rap podcast. Shout out to Emilio. And you guys were hilarious on there this week. Um, talking about Milk on the Rocks and strip club experiences. <laughs> well, I'm going to listen to a little secret. Uh, yeah, I was drinking after that show. So, yeah, I was <laughs> Yeah, that that shit was hilarious. But I was uh, listening to that. And he was like, yeah, ESPN's Kel Dansby. And I was like, yo, that's fucking nuts. Because I don't feel any different. And I remember one time my pops. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I told people who listen to this show or whatever. It's not like a secret. Or anything. But my godfather, Chuck Bone, has been in the music industry and like an A&R in New York for like ever. He was, I mean, shit, uptown offices. So I tell i talk about on the show i was running around uptown offices heavy d was chasing me playing tag and that motherfucker's keith lee in athleticism but uh so that's how because my god one of my godfathers um my uncle chuck bone it was a and r there and then his best friend since grade school was puff that's how uh puff got the internship and they started the internship around the same time chuck got moved up and then puff went back to school puff came back and started his internship when chuck was already an a and r so uh they've grown up together forever my dad and chuck he's my godfather because they are also best friends but independently of my dad and puff uh my dad and puff never liked each other whatever 
I don't know why. So I remember my Uncle Chuck got married and my dad told me a story from the wedding because him and Puff were co-best men. And it's like the only time he's talked to Puff in like 10, 15 years. I don't know. Stupid grudge. And he asked Puff, he's like, yo, it's crazy. He's like, uh, they, they're cordial and all this shit. And then he asked Puff, he's like, yo, real talk. What is it like being famous? And Puff was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel famous. He's like, I get stuff that I want. I have money to do stuff, but I don't feel famous. I just feel like me. He's like, I felt like this since I was 14 years old. Like nothing's ever changed. I'm just being me. And I didn't understand that. And then this person told me that. I was like, yo, that's fucking real. I'm not, I'm not even famous, obviously. I'm not Puff. I'm not, I'm not anybody. I'm a person who does this fucking podcast and we do a couple live shows. But I didn't feel any different. And I was like, yo, that's fucking weird. Like my whole goal in media life has been to make it ESPN. I got here and it allows me to say wild shit and start on my baby mama's thread count and bag on that. Like, but outside of that, like I'm the, I'm the same old me. So it was funny. I was like, yo, I was like, let me ask Drake. Cause I know you like, you've been on Kendrick stuff, like filming documentaries and Grammys and doing a whole bunch of wild shit. So I know you get it all the time where people are like, yo, but you get it different. You get the, yo, put me on. No one's told me that shit yet. I'm not even on your level. Like people don't come at me like, yo, can you, can you do this? Can you, yo, any people hiring at ESPN? I ain't getting none of that shit yet. They keep that somewhere else. But <laughs> I know you get that all the time. Yeah, I was like, yo, yeah. don't, don't bring that near me. But yeah, it just, it felt weird. I was like, yo, I'm not different. I was like, I know. Let me ask the old man about this. And then the other thing, and we won't name names because there's no names to be named, but Big Fight Weekends bring out, especially boxing. We're not talking Conor McGregor, not talking MMA. Big Fight Weekends bring out a lot of groupie media and groupie tendencies in media members. I'm telling you, I we thought people were shooting at Pacquiao Mayweather once. I ran into the, everyone was running. I was running to the press room, and fucking Brian Pumper was next to me in a G-Unit wife beater and a press credential. I remember that. So I was like, yeah. what the fuck is going on here? Brian Pumper. So there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on Boxing Week. So I'm preparing myself mentally for the groupie media and just that whole fiasco. And I feel like, come on, black people, we got to do better. We talk about all the time we need more black representation and media and all this stuff. If you aren't media, still kind of act like you got some common sense. If you're in the media room, don't ruin it for the rest of us. Don't be taking pictures with athletes, with boxers and shit. Come on, like, it, it's looking bad. And Dre, I know you see it, man. Oh, I know you see the God. groupie, the groupie yes. tendencies. For whatever reason over the, well, see... Again, I semi-left the music business. I'm kind of out of it now. I haven't done as much music writing as I used to. Like, I still run Premier's blog, um, which I really don't tell people about. And, you know, occasionally Brian texts me. We talk about some shit, whatever. But for the most part, I'm into this combat sports thing. And when I got here, I was like, yeah, this is going to be more professional. And all these people are just going to do their work. Well, the fuck they're <laughs> not. They're, they're like groupies. They're still groupies. And it's like... You know, on the back of your media credential, it tells you, like, in so many words, not to be a groupie. Like, don't take pictures. <laughs> like, don't get autographs and shit like that. And, like, early on in my journalism career, um, Pacquiao. Actually, it was Pacquiao de la Hoya. Pacquiao de la Hoya. Uh, after the fight, people were getting stuff signed. 
And I went up to go do an interview, and Manny Pacquiao just grabbed my credential and signed it. And I was like, uh, I'm not supposed to do this. And then like, I think Kelly Swanson was there. She was like, don't worry about it. So I had, like this autographed Manny Pacquiao thing is in my like tub of like random shit that I've collected. But I felt weird because I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. But dude, shit, the rest of the journalists, the so-called journalists that were there, the ones with the video cameras and shit, they ain't gonna fuck. <laughs> they were getting shirts signed. They were getting posters signed. I was like, this is ridiculous. So yeah, Wilder Fury, because one, it's going to be a lot of celebrities to come out. Oh, two, a ton. A yeah. ton. And then two, you're going to have all those journalists who want to Instagram flex or Facebook flex, whatever it is, and talk about all their friends in the boxing industry that are not really their friends, but they no, think that they're their like, friends. <laughs> you do two interviews with someone you're a friend. Man, it's like, yo. These people are not your friends. They are obligated is, to talk to you. It is so crazy because I have relationships in the industry and I don't talk about them a lot, but the ones that, the, the people who I actually know in this industry, it's not a picture on Facebook. It's not It's not even like you know my name, right? Because there's a lot of fighters who know who I am because of where I work and what I've done. There's a lot of rappers who know that as well. There's like celebrities. But if I don't have you in my in my phone, and not just have you on my phone arbitrarily, like give me your number and I'll text you and you never text me back. But if we don't communicate, <laughs> we're not friends, dude. Like we're, we're just not. And I won't, fa- I won't flaunt you as a friend. Like, there, for instance... Nipsey Hussle passed and Mac Miller passed. I would never call them my friends. We have communicated. They knew who I was. We exchanged maybe a few emails. I've shadowed Mac Miller. I've been around Nipsey, but I would never be like, that's my friend. This other like journalist out here, for whatever reason, they think they get some more clout. The only way that relationship means anything is if you can do something with it. And for the most part, y'all can't do shit with those relationships that you floss on social media. Because you took a picture yep. with somebody, you can't do shit with them. You'll or split. get exclusive interviews or any, like those YouTube video people are fucking weird. And bless them. I guess they're making money off YouTube and everything. But it's like, what what are you really? And You're listen, I was, I was writing, yeah, I was writing for the bros articles. So best believe, I know sometimes you got to do what you got to do for a check. But at my base level, I was like, I'm still a journalist. I'm going to act as though I'm a journalist. Like, you can go and, and do these guerrilla running up on people interviews, but still be a legit journalist and not groupy out. I'll give you a perfect example of somebody who knows people, does carry a camera, but does his shit. Ellie Secback. Oh, like, yeah. Ellie's mad it. respected. Not only is Ellie mad respected, like, I know who Ellie is. Ellie was a, an NBA writer before anything else. And Ellie, like all those videos with Kobe, Ellie did a lot of that shit. And he had like a relationship. And you and I've known Ellie for a long time. And Ellie never really flosses his relationships. Like you'll see him at fights and you'll see him like with camps and doing stuff. But Ellie does his thing. And he never, like you, I don't see it. I don't see it. Marcos like, is like that too, right? Yeah, like, Marcos, you know, he knows people, and now he's on Fox and doing, like, the scoring yeah. and all that shit. Cool. Like, Because he had that legit background behind it. Exactly. But th- then you got these other people who, like, you post a picture, and you got your arm on somebody that you don't really know, and you're like, that's my homie. It's not your fucking homie, guys. Cut that shit out. Like, I, dude, I hate it. Even now, like, this past week, like, I took a picture with Ryan Garcia because... I'll tell you guys all about that shit. But then I, what I didn't post is obviously like 
my niece is all obsessed with like YouTube culture and all that shit. And I had Ryan give her a shout out. It was because what ended up happening is, long story short, this is like it's our fourth fight with Ryan. And Ryan knows who I am, and it's like we spent a lot of time together this weekend. And he was like, "Yeah, you should just flick it up." And I was like, "All right, cool, I'll flick it up. And I'll send it to my niece." And then, like for the most part, when I'm away for a fight, I don't take a bunch of pictures of myself with like people. I'm around yeah. them. But I just don't. I take pictures of what I'm doing because, and then on top of that, like my job is like, yo, why don't you post on Instagram? It's like, because I don't want to. And cause I don't. <laughs> I don't post on Instagram. Like, I'll post some shit on Twitter. Like, Super Bowl week, I was like, yeah, it's my fucking favorite team. So, of course, I'm going to post. But other than that, like, I'm not friends with these people like that. I'm just, I'm not. But th- th- this week, dude, everybody's going to be Dante Wilder's best friend. Everybody's oh. going to be Tyson Fury's best friend. It's going to be ridiculous. And the, and, and, the more, and the most power, the people with the most power aren't even, like, this is what I learned. You're not friends with the artist. You're not friends with the fighter. You're friends with the promoter. You're friends with the manager. You're friends with the people that can actually do shit. Because the yep. artists don't really have that kind of time for you. Nope. Shout out to all the promoters. <laughs> um, those are the people that I'm actually making connections with now. And that's amazing. That's the connection to have. Because the promoters, like, I... I only saw Bob Arum from afar before and I'm not close to Bob or anything, but just talking to him and having access to him and just picking his brain on like some of the, and Bob is one of those unique guys. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is cause he's older now. I don't, I didn't know young Bob or younger Bob Arum, but he has like no filter anymore. <laughs> Jesus didn't know young Bob. God damn. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he has no filter whatsoever. So you catch him and you're actually having a normal ass conversation. He'll tell you the world in this conversation. I'm like, yo, Bob, is it, are you supposed to say this shit? Like inner workings of business? Bob don't give a fuck. So like those conversations are hilarious. You know, just dealing with the individual manager as a boxer. Like those are cool conversations. And even still, these people are, are great. They're great acquaintances. They're great people to know. They're not my friends. Like, we are friends. We have group chats. We talk about dumb shit. I go over your house for potlucks. I bring food. Your wife cooks a, a whole feast for everyone. We, we drink crazy amounts of liquor from your liquor stash, which is just bonkers, and you can't drink it all yourself. So me being a good friend, try to help you out. But, but like everyone else isn't my friend like that and people get that friend word or like all that stuff way too loose and it's crazy to see media like that nothing and it's wild because we're at some fight not for, this shit all blurs together now but seeing people be stands not even over celebrities but over Instagram girls Twitter girls like low level people like yo legit people will fan out for them just as fast as they will for Deontay Wilder. And it's it's bonkers to see. So these fights, like the like you said, so many celebrities will just be around. And that's what, I guess, make Jake Paul, right? The Logan Pauls, all these guys. You put them on a fight night, equal amounts of people are going up to Jake Paul and Logan Paul than they are Ryan Garcia. Yeah. And Ryan's a huge, like, young kid style, huge star. Movie star looks, model, crazy hands, which we'll talk about in a second. Logan Paul and Jake Paul moved the needle more. Yeah. They, and we'll get that same shit, Wilder Fury Week. So that's that's crazy. 
but we're in for it this week. Do you expect Urban loitering though? Yes. It's gonna be a fun fight week. Oh, I we're do. getting the ratchets. I think. Oh I yeah. Think, I don't know how ratchet it will be because I think the the only real problem with this fight when it comes to Urban loitering is it's so close to NBA All Star Weekend and everybody spent their ass going to Chicago this week. So, yeah, they froze their ass off. That's what they yeah, did. It was like 14 degrees. I was like, God damn. Like, I don't know if they're going to double back and then, you know, have enough money to come to Vegas to really urban loiter. So that may prevent their urban loitering a little bit. But for the most part, it's a big fight. Like, I've talked to a lot of people, and they're just like, yo, I'm trying to find my way down there. And looking at the fight schedule this week just feels like a lot. You know, it's like yeah. a lot of fighters that I've talked to, they are going to come to town just for this fight. This is – this – it's not going to do like the four and a half million that fucking Joe Testatori said on on like that was ridiculous. It's not going to do Mayweather Pacquiao numbers, <laughs> no. but it's going to be one. Of the, it'll, it'll probably be the biggest fight of the year, unless something yeah, it'll, changes. it'll do it'll Canelo be numbers, yeah, which aren't easy. No, but by I no think means. there's so much intrigue, and it's a heavyweight fight. It's in Vegas. It should be big. And the machine is moving. You cannot turn on Fox or ESPN without seeing it. Not at all. Man, that shit was at the gas station. It's pumping gas. Yo, it is. It's on the gas pumps. I was like, word? Yeah, I saw that shit. I was in LA at the gas pumps when I was at Disney filling up the rental. Boom, I saw the commercial. I was like, yo, this is wild. But uh, shout out to them and cut me these checks for overtime. <laughs> Let's get it. Uh, I get my little piece of the pie too. So if you guys are listening, make sure you buy Wilder Fury 2. ESPN Plus this weekend. If you need the code to buy it, check out ESPN Ringside. Shameless plug. Listen, I'm trying to get this paper. <laughs> uh, no, let's let's talk about the Ryan Garcia fight though. So you were there, and man, in the ring, Ryan Garcia looked like a star. It looked like, and I'll tell you this past week, I didn't go too crazy on Wilder Fury at work and socially. But, you know, normal social posts throughout the week. Ryan Garcia's social posts blew everything out of the water. Only thing that was close was Devin Haney's social post. And a lot of those were about Ryan Garcia. Yeah, so Ryan Garcia, so I've said it. I, I, I say I said in the beginning that Devin Haney was the guy that the zone should hitch their wagon to. But now it's Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia. Because I wasn't sure about Ryan um, I think it was after the Carlos Morales fight where he got hurt to the body before he got with uh, Eddie Reynoso. Since then, and some people will be like, well, you know, those guys aren't... Like Romero Duno and um, Fonseca, uh, who, he blew both of those guys out in the first round. And Duno was a guy who a lot of people said would give Ryan trouble. He hit him one left hook. It was night-night. Yep. Fonseca was a guy who went... It's, yo, I... This there was so many things that got a lot of traction on social media that I posted. Two things got a lot of traction. One is I posted a picture of Devin Haney and Mikey Garcia and I said if they fight in 2020, who would win? And that shit went nuts. The other yep. thing was when I posted that Ryan Garcia got Fra uh, Francisco Fonseca out in one round when it took Javante Davis eight. Yo, people went nuts on that post. It was just like, ah, oh, you're dissing. Javante, I'm not even dissing. I'm just telling you what the fact is. Javante, <laughs> <That's> the <stats. laughs> yeah, Javante fought Fonseca in the co-main event of Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, and it was supposed to be a showcase fight for Javante, and he didn't look that good. He got Fonseca out of there in the eighth round, but he, I think he hit him with a punch behind the head that was really controversial, and they called the fight after eight. Ryan cleaned his clock with one of the. I'm not gonna say it was the most beautiful setup for a left hook, but. 
He had baited him, him. He landed a left hook, realized that Fonseca was getting super aggressive, backed off, and then he turtled up for a hot second just to give Fonseca the idea that he can lunge in. And his, Brian Garcia's hands are unbelievably fast. That shit's lightning. That, yeah, you can't <laughs> teach this shit. Like, nope. I've watched him work the mitts. I've watched him work that bag. And, it, it, like, Floyd Mayweather shows that, you know, when he hits the pads, like, wow, these hands are really fast. But Brian Garcia is 21 with these twitch reflexes. It's un- And then puts power behind it? Fuck. And he put yep. Fonseca to sleep. Dead. Murder, death, kills. Rap. Dunzo. It's... He has the makings of a world champion. Even with every... the In a tough and crowded division he has the makings of an undisputed world champion he has the reflexes we saw in terrence crawford so we yeah. but with that being said i was i'm still a devin haney guy it is what it is i i've said it for years now you put devin haney against anyone i'm taking devin haney haney against the field ryan included in that because i think haney it's just bigger. He's more powerful. But Ryan's so quick. But I think Haney would have to lean on him. One hell of a fight. It's one of those, you know, Hagler-Leonard fights, right? Like, where the styles are so different. And both are so talented. But yeah, looking at yes. Garcia, he might grow and learn. Like, to me, he's outworking everyone else right now and if they're even now or if he's a little bit behind in four years i think it works tank davis to me who has no sense of accountability in his actions and i think he's going more broner than he is mayweather now devin haney i don't get that same thing haney's spending money whatever you're making money spend money kid have a ball you know have your instagram girlfriend with her cheeks out on instagram god bless um do do your thing young man but he takes his craft very seriously still shakur takes his craft very seriously still i look at javante and i'm thinking like yo javante is gonna get keith thurman and i'll put that shit out now like cool he knocks people out all this stuff when these boys get to him they're fucking javante up and that's that's real talk like he's he's going to be what keith thurman was keith thurman was one time and then now you're like, Keith Thurman's not beating Earl Spence. To me, Keith Thurman's not beating Terrence Crawford. These guys who are right next to him caught him and surpassed him. And I think it's going to be like that for Javante, but way worse. So there's a couple things. One, I made this statement in a piece that I wrote on Sunday that the 135-pound division is the most exciting in boxing. It yep. used to be middleweight, but 135 is by far even better than welterweight. And I know a lot of people are like, really? Look at 135. 135 has arguably the number one pound-for-pound guy, which is Lomachenko. 147 has arguably the number one pound-for-pound guy in Terrence Crawford. Then you also have Errol Spence. But then here's where it gets interesting. Lomachenko, Tiafima Lopez, Javante Davis, Richard Comey, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, Javier Fortuna, Tank Davis. Uh, A looming Campbell. Mikey Garcia. Mikey can't, make, Mikey can't make 35. Talk to him. No, but they can. But any of those guys can fight Mikey at 140. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but this is this is and most of them are under 25. Ryan's 21. Devin's 21. Teofimo's 22 or 23. 22. Javon, 
22. Javante's 25. That's nuts. Like, yep. we have never had... Not going to say never. In recent memory, we have not had a division where top guys, like these guys, and they all, all want to fight each other. That's like the best part. They all want to fight each other. Then you have Lomachenko sitting at the top. And Lomachenko's going to yep. get Tiafimo Lopez, which is, seems like it's going to be in spring. And from... I can say this now. Uh, Ryan Garcia is probably going to fight uh, Jorge Linares on July 11th. Yes, sir. Uh, Devin Haney is going to be back in May or June. I uh, don't know who he's going to fight. He's coming off of that surgery. And then we have we got Gervonta. I don't know who Gervonta is going to fight, but we'll see. You got to fight the, the judge first and these charges. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. But so... <laughs> So this division is like super loaded. Now, here's the other thing. When you mentioned like Tank Davidson's discipline, right? So I sat down with Ryan Garcia several times this week. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, Ryan, because Ryan's been really adamant that he's going to retire in five years. He's been really adamant about it. And I keep telling him he's a liar. I was like, you're not retiring in five years. He's like, yeah. yes, I am. Like, no, no, that's just being young. That's a young kid being yeah. young. Yeah, I was like, everybody, you know, when you're like 21, you like, you look at 30, you're like, fuck, that's old. And then 30 comes, you're like, oh, shit, it's nothing. Like, I'm just reaching my physical prime. Anyway, because he's like, I want to fight Tank Davis next. Devin Haney took, like, great exception to this. I saw Devin Haney this week, and he was like, he should want to fight me next. It's an easier fight to make, whatever, whatever. Yeah. He's like, I want to fight Tank. And I was like, why? Why do you want to fight Tank Davis? I think he'd beat him. And I was like, well, I was like, sorry, so you could think you'd beat everybody. He's like, of course. But here's the thing about Tank. Tank's not disciplined. He's like, you've never seen me fat in between fights. You've never seen Devin fat in between fights. You've never seen Lomachenko fat in between fights. You see Tank fat in between fights. He's like, Tank has all this power and he's explosive as hell. He's very talented. I want, this is what he said, I want to get to him before somebody else does. That's real. It's a race to see who beats him. I I believe that. And I think Teofimo probably gets the first crack. Because he's a, a real champion. There's a relationship between them two now, and I think Teofimo washes his ass. That's if he can get past Loma. But um, you know what? I'll hitch my wagon to Teofimo. I, I think, and I hold Loma in so high regard, like such high regard is crazy. I think it's Teofimo's time. I, I, I think Teofimo beats Loma and then beats and beats uh, Gervonta later in the year. I think whoever faces Gervonta, who's a legit person, beats him. Because I, I agree with Ryan. The guy's not disciplined. Not right now. He's not focused. It's and interesting. That's interesting. Broner got away with it because the competition level wasn't there when Broner was running through the ranks, right? Like, Broner caught, like, the perfect the perfect jumping steps where he avoided a lot of key guys during that time. Yeah. To become, what, a four-division champ. I think all four of his belts came on vacated titles. They were all, dude, they were trash opponents. Don't tell just, glasses that. No, those are But yeah, like, so, Gervonta doesn't have that luxury. He's not going to have that luxury. And we'd uh, be remiss if we didn't mention Virgil Ortiz at 140, waiting for a lot of these guys. Oh, my God. We, Devin Haney's dad was like, oh, don't one want to fight us at 135. We'll move to 140. Uh, Virgil's up there. Let's slow down. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, hold Virgil, on. Virgil fights, March, <laughs> he fights He fights on his own on March 28th. If yeah. The only problem with Virgil Ortiz is he just doesn't have much of a personality. But when he cracks, yeah. motherfucker. Those hands, crack. though? That motherfucker. He gives me just Roberto Duran flashbacks. Yeah. So, so <laughs> here's, here's some other yeah. things that, that were taken away from fight week. So, yes, Ryan Garcia is a star. Um, yep. He brought him out to the fight. He brought like 10200 paid. 
to the fight in uh, at uh, Honda Center. Um, obviously, Jake Paul and Logan Paul was there. If you saw him on my social media, I caught Jake Paul's like immediate reaction. You're like, why are you recording him? This motherfucker has like tons of followers. Um, on top of that, Ryan Garcia has like five million Instagram followers. It's nuts, and he's leveraging this as a boxer. But the other thing that happened through the week is like Devin Haney's shit talking tour, which is very fun to watch. So <laughs> Devin shows up. So I, you know. Devin shows up. We were, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on with Devin. He shows up. He's, we knew he was going to be ringside. We knew he was going to be stepping in the ring because even if he doesn't fight Ryan next, we need to start building that fight because that's the obvious collision course. So Devin gets to town, and the first thing Devin does, he's he's got. We have a media lunch. It was very small uh, with Devin, Mikey Garcia, Chocolatito. Um, I can't remember who else was there. The only people I cared about. I get there, I see Devin. Devin looks, and Mikey's doing it. I think Devin did a few interviews first. Then Mikey does some interviews. So Devin goes up to Mikey to say what's up. And I don't know what happened. And it wasn't like they were, it wasn't like being mean to each other. But they just kind of stared each other down. And then everybody took pictures. And that's why I took that picture. It was like Mikey versus Devin. What happened? And so I, th- that little moment happens. He walks away. I walk, we're sitting at the same table. And Devin goes, Andres. Mikey's fucking small. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Like, Mikey... And I'm like, yo, Mikey really has no business at 147. He's small. Because Devin has a hard time getting to 135. He's like, I fight him. <laughs> like, Devin's like, I'll fight him. And his <laughs> pops, who was his trainer, was like, yeah, we'll fight him. And I posted on social media, and then, like, Devin looked and he laughed, and he, like, retweeted it, and he was like, yeah, let's start some shit. In a nice way, because the thing about Devin, he's such a nice kid. Like, and I call him a kid because he just turned 21. And he's like, yeah, I want to fight him. So that happens. So then I ask Devin about Adrian Broner. Devin's like, "Fuck him, I fight him too." So he was like, "I was like, can he get down to 40? I was like, can he get down to thirty-five? He's like, "Hell no, he can't get down to the thirty-five. I'll meet his ass at forty or a catchweight and beat his ass." Okay. Uh, and I was like, "Well, who?" I was like, "What about Tia Fimo? And He was like, "Tia Fimo don't want to smoke." But he's like, if he talk about me and stop sending emojis, I'm gonna beat his ass too. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and I'm like, and then he's like, while I'm talking about it, Gary Russell said he wanted to come to 135. He can get these hands too. And I'm sitting there and like my one of my disowned producers, like, holy shit, we're realizing how many different people that Devin Haney can fight. And then he looks like Mikey and is like, I'll fight him too. Like, because he's like, I'm tired of all these people running away from me. He, I'm the WBC champion. He's a champion of recess. He's like, I'm the WBC champion. Uh, if you want to get this smoke, you can come through me. And I'm like, well, fuck. And then the fi- the night of the fight, we're all wondering. Like, we had a production meeting. We're like, I wonder if Devin's like, going to go in the ring and say anything or he's just going to stand there because he's a nice guy. Devin Haney gets in the ring and was like, you're not a real champion until you fight me, Ryan. And Ryan's like, well, I'm hyped. Let's do this. And Devin's just like, okay, fight me. And we're just like... Dude, we don't have too many guys that just run around talking shit to everybody and are nice. Like, he's friendly, but he's like, I'll fuck you up. And it's like the friendliest, I'll fuck you up ever. And it's almost offensive because, like, you're smiling saying you're going to fuck me up. He's like, yeah, I'll beat your ass. Like, I, I, I enjoy it. This is this is what boxing needs right now. The youth movement, because these guys all have strong social media followings. Like, Tia Fimo with going viral with the celebration dances. Uh, Devin, because he's established his presence, and you know, he's dated Black China for a hot second, and he's got like bad chicks on Instagram and all this. And then Ryan with his 5 million Instagram followers, it's a good time for boxing. Even t- like Vasily Lomachenko is like 1.8 social media followers, but these guys have all their own particular fan bases, 
and like Javante has his base and he brings them out, they all they all bring out non-boxing fans. And I think that's the key element for all of them. They all make people, casual fans, want to watch them. And they're all going to clash. And it's going to make those fights huge. Massive. It's just when. Like, these guys, that's what's different about this generation and past generations. These guys are stars at 21, 22, 23, 25. You can't stretch this until they're 30. 31, 32, 33. It's so different. You can't wait 10 years. They're going to force these fights at 26, 24 years old. They don't want to. And it's, the other thing that's crazy is I was looking at him and like, we don't know because Ryan Garcia beat Fonseca, but we're like, dude, he's still Fonseca. He's not really that good. And like, he's cool. Like the Lenares fight, that may tell us a lot, but we all think he's going to watch Lenares because Lenares has been chinny for a long time. But you look at Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis, and Devin Haney. And they're three guys that you all, that you look at and are like, man, they could be the future of the sport, right? But they all haven't really necessarily fought like stiff competition. Then you have Tiafimo Lopez. And Tiafimo beat the brakes off of Richard Kami, who was a top five guy. <laughs> beat yeah. the shit out of him. And now he's getting ready to fight Vasily Lomachenko, which means that he's the first one. He's the first one out of that youth movement that might enter the pound-for-pound pound ranks immediately. If he beats Lomachenko... I don't know, like, where do you put him? Got to be at four. He, I mean, he's four easy five, top ten. I mean, Loma's damn near one. That's what I'm saying. For a lot of people, Loma is one. Loma, Crawford, Canelo are one A, B, and C right now. Yeah, I mean, you go, listen, Canelo made one hell of a jump. with the After the Mayweather loss and the Triple G fight really took Canelo skyrocketing up those. And those were close fights. If Teofimo really beats Lomachenko... Yo, he got to be top five. I mean, it's crazy, but he's 20. What do you say, 22 or 23? He's 22, and he has to be over in a way. Uh, uh, maybe. But yeah, he, he's four. Regardless, the fact Competition the level, is, that's not even close no more. That's what I'm saying. Like, Tyson was a, a champion at 21. That People were just blown away by Tyson. But if he does this, and he beats Lomachenko, and he gets Lomachenko's 31-year-old ass out of here, and now you have all these 25 and under guys jockeying for pound-for-pound pound position in this in the same division? It's fucking, yeah. That's nuts. And then, it's going to be then, what boxing was, you know, for those years when you, when you had Hagler, Hearns, yeah. Leonard. Like... We re- we romanticized that period, but the people living through it were just like, nah, this this is how it's supposed to be. And, and not only that, like all of those guys went up because they were young, yep. so they eventually all had to move up. Like Duran was a lightweight champion, and went, Durant, he yep. went he went all the way up to junior middleweight, where he wasn't as effective because he was probably one of the best lightweights the world has ever seen. So he lost some of that power as he moved up, but natural progression says you got to gain weight. Sugar Ray Leonard, who lost to Duran at lightweight. Moved up and became better moving up. So it's interesting to see how these guys are going to shape and mold their careers as their bodies can no longer stay at 135, but they're all going to be around each other. And that's when you have Virgil Ortiz. That's when you have Jose Ramirez, because Ramirez post on Instagram was like, I cut down to 135 and fuck all of you up. And I was like, well, damn. Like, is this what we going to do? Let's do it. Like, this is what. Oh, it's we all want about. all the smoke. That's what I'm saying. Like, Jose Ramirez, like, they all see it. Before you couldn't see it. And in between, like, 30 to 40 before 47 then what that's why mikey went up to 47 because like there's nobody to fight here anymore i asked mikey i was like you look at these guys he was like they can all meet me at 40 because i ain't making 35 but i know that they can make 40 
Like, dude, 40 with Virgil Ortiz? Stacked. Jose Ramirez? Regis Progre? Mo Hooker? Josh Taylor? Like, stacked. Oh, and then man, you go to Josh. 47. Come on, man. Boxing's in a really good place right now. I laughed last week when Broner said, my next fight, I'm moving back down to 140. Yeah, like, nobody's like, like um, Devin, dog, Devin Like, sir, so that's hard. not any easier for you anymore. Like, no, one, you good luck making that weight. Two, there's no easy fights down there for you. You're not just going down and just grabbing a title for the fuck of it. Dog, they are beating you up. And damn, even at 47, Jerron Boots Ennis. Fucking savage. They're, oh, dude. Ennis is a beat. What's Ennis, 22? Yeah, like, Ennis is 22-23. I mean, obviously, none of them are going to go up to fight D David Benavides, but now you have David Benavides and Caleb Plant, who just beat the shit out of Feigenbush this weekend. Like, yep. these, these, dude, boxing is in a really, really, really good space right now with a bunch of young talent. They all have their own fan bases, and they all want to fight each other. Hopefully, Yo, there's kids, there's 19, 20-year-olds in the Olympics. We're talking about United States kids. You know how many people were in the Olympics and just couldn't turn pro because they're waiting for this summer? 19, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds that are just waiting. Lomachenko, you don't think Lomachenko, Usyk, Triple G, these guys didn't have a crazy impact in their home countries? Where now all these kids are like, no, fuck it, we're waiting for the Olympics because that's what they did, but it's on. So you're going to add a whole nother, what, eight, nine guys after this Olympic class is done. You look at Shakur. You look at... Um, I almost forgot about Shakur. He's, what, 126? So yeah, Shakur's at 126, but he's going trying to unify the title against Warrington here this summer, probably be on the zone, like co-promoted. But um, you, you look at stuff like that. You look at guys who waited until after the Olympics. Wilder was in the Olympic. These guys who are great fighters now who had to wait until they had the little Olympic run and then came in, we're not even talking about any of those guys yet. And they're 18, 19, 20. Nuts. Yo, we're adding a whole nother wave of 10 people. We didn't even mention the Dubois kid or whatever at heavyweight. Yeah, Danny Dubois. It's nuts. <laughs> Boxing's in great hands. It's going to be one hell of a crash course when these guys are stars at 25 and hold belts and they decide to jump up to 147 and Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, uh, not Pacquiao, but, you know, some of these guys are still around. Yeah. Like, you're going to tell those guys they're gatekeepers? It's kind of scary, man. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Good time. The collision course is going to be amazing. Uh, let's talk about and end this show on this weekend's fight. And that is Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Undercard is a... Uh, Who cares? Nobody cares. Charles Martin, little, nobody gives a shit. sparse. <laughs> um, but the main event is going to be worth the, worth the price of a mission. Official prediction for the fight, Dre. Who you got? Uh, okay. So after the first fight happened, I think I went on record and said this on the podcast. I said Fury's seen everything that Wilder has to offer. He should have an easier time beating him the second time around. It's been over a year since that fight has happened. Deontay Wilder's killed two men and got away with it. Fury fought Otto Valen, uh, Tom Schwartz, won both fights. And I don't, I'm not using the, those two fights for Fury as a measuring stick because I think they were mostly about him getting rounds in. But what, what I thought about was Deontay Wilder started boxing late. 
and he's still learning shit. And against Luis Ortiz, he learned patience. If you go back and watch the yeah. first Wilder Fury fight, there was no patience. Wilder was trying to kill that man from the opening bell. And Fury's too good to fall for those basic ass traps. Wilder learned how to set better traps, and you saw it against Luis Ortiz. I think in the rematch, there's two there's two ways this fight can go, in my opinion. I'm picking Wilder to win by knockout. That's my official pick. Because I think, I don't think there's any way in hell that Wilder can hit Fury again and Fury gets up again. I think if he can't, <laughs> no. if he catch, I think it's over. I, 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 I'm just saying, he got up. Like, people forget, and I'm about to ask Tyson Fury this when I see him. Did it hurt? Because you talk about the second knockdown. What about the first knockdown? He was knocked down twice in that fight, and he got up. Yep. So I'm curious, like, how that how he felt his power. Because Fury said they, you know, uh, Klitschko had more power. I don't believe him. I think he's blowing smoke. I think he's, like, he's doing everything to avoid that. I'm picking Wilder to win. But here's the path to the Tyson Fury victory. Tyson Fury says he's coming in at 270 pounds, which a lot of people think he's doing that for more power. I don't think that's why he's doing it. I think he's doing it to smother Deontay Wilder. And this is the only way he wins this fight. If you fight Deontay Wilder at a distance, and anybody who's seen this, because Fury has now gone from, uh, he's gone to Sugar Hill's new trainer. And Sugar Hill's a knockout guy, but he's also a close, close quarter guy. If you fight Deontay Wilder from a distance, you're a dead man. Because he's, yep. he's going to catch you. If he extends, you're done. Fury's best shot at winning this fight is to pressure Wilder from the opening bell and use that 270 pounds and lean on his ass and just wear him down with infighting. If he can do that, he may be able to knock him out. I know he's talking about the second round knockout shit. Nobody believes him. But he may be able to wear him down because that kind of size, that we've never seen anybody Deontay's size lean on him. And Deontay's not the greatest infighter. It's just every no, fight starts from a distance, and if you get punched in the yeah. face, you're a dead man. <laughs> yep. So you go. That, that's the only way Fury wins, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think every fight starts with two guys far apart from the ring, and I think Wilder's going to eventually walk him into one. What's your prediction? I'll tell you this much. I don't think it's going to the judges. Somebody's getting a knockout or a stoppage in uh, Fury's part. I don't think Fury knocks Wilder out cold. No. But I, I think he can bombard him if he does later in the fight, eighth, ninth round. Um, bombard him enough that the ref stops the fight. You know, drop him once, stagger him. Wilder can't keep Fury off of him, and then the fight is called, right? So, I can see that. Uh, I'm going with Wilder KO in two. Hmm. Because... I honestly, and obviously being around the fight and close quarters and everything and seeing every Fury interview done leading up to this and speaking with him uh, on several occasions and everything, he wholeheartedly believes that he can fight his best fight, which he did last time. I think in his heart of hearts, he thinks his last fight was his best fight he can give Wilder. And... The judges won't say it's enough to give him a decision. So he'd rather die on his shield than let them rob him. It's the Triple G effect against Canelo, right? Triple G that second time came out and tried to fight the same fight as the first one and got robbed again. Then just got pissed and he might not get another shot. Fury's, I believe, not going to let that happen. He's going to go out there. And he's going to try to punch with Deontay Wilder and say, I'm 270 pounds. I can take that. Fury, in one of his interviews, uh, Mark Kriegel interview, he said 
Wilder hit him in the first round of last fight with a jab right between the eyes. It was one of the hardest punches he ever been hit by. And he can't figure out why Wilder doesn't use his jab. He was like, oh, I, he was like, his exact quote was, if that's how hard his jab feels, I got to stay away from that right hand. And he talked about grabbing and, you know, just making sure he didn't get in range of that jab. So when people talk about Wilder blinds people with his jab, when he throws a real jab, jab, the blinding is the punch force that that jab comes with. And that shit hits you between your eyes, you're like, ouch, and then boom, the right hand is there as soon as you, you wince. And I think Deontay comes into this fight and says, I'm going to throw this jab a lot, and it's going to leave him open for that right hand. And we saw that in his last fight against Valin. If you can jab Tyson Fury, you could hit him with a follow-up. Good luck jabbing him. Right? That's, that's his key. He's so fast. He's so quick. He's so nimble. Good luck placing your jab in the correct spot to hit him clean. I, I think Wilder does that. And I think he knocks him out. And honestly, I think this is going to be a trilogy of fights. I, I think Tyson Fury says, you know what? That was a quick knockout. Let's go again. And standing with him and trying to knock him out isn't the right strategy let me go back to what i do best and box i i think this sugar hill experiment is going to not that he's searching for an excuse but it's going to provide the right excuse if he gets knocked out and says you know what i was fighting a style that isn't mine i have to be a better boxer than him i'm not a better puncher hmm. well so I can, that's uh i can see it one way or yeah, another, live, we by, both, live by the sword, die by the sword, and that motherfucker Wilder got the biggest sword out. And we we both agree that this fight is just—it's not going to go the distance. Like if it goes the distance again, I'll be—I'll be surprised. <laughs> I'll I be just shocked. don't see it. But yeah, I think these two guys have, have spent twelve rounds with each other. And that's the other thing. Like I—I'm not saying like Bermain's Tavern and Tyson Fury are the same guy, but when Deontay stepped into another fight with, in a rematch, he murdered a man. Legally, again, like this man has <laughs> so many homicides on his record that he's been folded you know, him, yeah, in half because he, he knew what he had to offer. It, I don't know, man. I think JD's is going to come with the right plan for Deontay. I, I really don't like that Tyson Fury changed tra trainers. I don't. I just don't. I don't like it either. Because at all, it usually everybody that I've ever talked to that switched trainers, everybody, even just when I talked about Ryan Garcia about this, it takes a it takes a fight because. You look. You still go back to your old habits when you change trainers, mm -hmm. and the other thing is, like you need to, you need to be in real time events to take instruction from a new trainer, because where it really all matters is in the corner when your adrenaline is still high, when you just came off of three minute rounds, and that new person is in your ear, not the guy that you're used to, and somebody else is in your ear giving you instructions and how do you listen to them, and I think that rapport is just not going to be there with Sugar Hill. I think with Deontay, he knows JDs. They know each other. And they know, like, JDs can see Deontay and be like, all right, I know how to fix this. I don't yeah. I don't think that Sugar Hill's going to be able to do that with Tyson Fury. Even though Tyson Fury has a very huge ring IQ, I just think it's going to be weird for him to not have that voice in his quarter that he's used to. And it's going to lead to his demise. Yeah, and let's be real. He hasn't slugged against any of the guys he's won his big fights against. That Klitschko fight was boring as hell, and he smothered Klitschko, like you said. He turned that into the most boring fight ever, and he won. Yep. 
Like he's trying to reinvent the wheel and it's something you can do against amateurs. He's like, oh, I went back to Sugar Hill. I trained, you know, with him and Emmanuel Stewart earlier in my career. What, like, what, 2011, 2012. It's like, yeah, but you were fighting tomato cans back then. This is a whole different class of fighter. Yeah. It, it's, I don't like the strategy. And I, I think like this it. wakes him up. And then he goes back to whatever strategy, and maybe that's not good enough to fight Wilder, to beat Wilder. Who knows? Yeah. But so uh, uh, there's one one last thing. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with fight because we're about to roll into this, this interview that, that you did. Um, the the most exciting thing for me is to get to watch you ESPN and Fox PBC people work together this week. I ain't got to do Ooh. shit because the fact that I work at the Zone, like we deal with this shit enough. Like, uh, like we work at Golden Boy and we work, work with Matchroom, and I got to deal with the politics and all that shit, so I know what it feels like. But you guys are like on completely other sides of the spectrums, so I can only imagine the bullshit that's going to go on <laughs> behind the scenes. I can't wait. It's it's going to... I'm going to earn every penny I make this week. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure. So, it, it's going to be a crazy scene in Vegas. That's why I'm going to enjoy when I take you out for this steak dinner. I'm going to get a steak my damn self, and we're going to have drinks, and we're going to chill. No, coincidentally, Thursday night, we have like a media mixer, open bar. They know what the hell's going on. We're going to well, need that open bar. See, I, I kind of know who, I don't want to say too much. This is a Watson <laughs> Brothers, I know this, I'm pretty sure this is a Watson Brothers production. Um, Yeah, they tend to do this. Anybody know who <laughs> Sam Watson and the Watson boys are? I feel like this is their doing. I know what they're doing. Listen, open, open bar, it's lit. So, oh man, it's, it's going to be an excited week. And next week when we recap it, it's going to be even more exciting. And, yeah, it, it's a crazy week in combat sports. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet Online has you covered for all of your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you sign up, you receive 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than actually doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRED to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, now let's get back into the show. Uh, talk about that here now. So you'll hear me intro you, and then uh, we'll go from there. Terrific. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. No problem. All right, everyone, as promised, we have HBO Real Sports correspondent John Frankel in to speak with us today, uh, the old man, Andreas Hale, has stepped away for a second, but I will be holding it down. If you guys don't know, coming to HBO, just a powerful, powerful segment on real sports on Pat Day and his trainer, Joe Higgins. Um, if you don't know, Patrick Day unfortunately passed away after his fight last year. It, it was just an eye-opening experience for the boxing world and we have John Frankel here to discuss you know real sports and why they decided to 
you know, tackle this subject and kind of the angles they went with it. So, John, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I just want to get right into it, if you don't mind. Where, you know, did this idea come up to feature Patrick Day? And it's still so fresh, right? It's a memory we remember in the boxing world, October 16th, just a horrific night for the sport of boxing or a horrific tragedy and what really made you guys think of you know what we we want to tackle this subject and we think we this is the right time to do so our producers uh, chapman dan and steven lorenzo who worked on the piece were the ones that came up with uh, the idea to profile patrick posthumously and and take a look at this i think in part steven lorenzo had covered boxing before he came to real sports. Uh, Chapman's one of our veteran producers. Uh, they know a good story when they see one. They know good characters. They know when there are relationships that are important to delve into. And I think they also had recognized that over the last 12, 14 months, there had been several other deaths related to boxing. And they felt that it was the right time to to tell this story. When I watched a, a you know a portion of that story, immediately it grabs you, right? It's just one of those stories where you can't, for better or worse, take your your eyes off it, right? It's polarizing, and you guys did just an amazing job featuring, you know, one of the biggest events from boxing last year. Um, but the way that you guys went about it, it's more of a celebration, it strikes me, uh, in the life of Patrick Day than it is kind of beating the drum of boxing's brutality. Is this something you were Absolutely. conscious about? Absolutely. I think that we, we looked at the possibility of not, not damning boxing, but we looked at the idea of exploring whether reforms in boxing it should be taking place given the, the, the past and given that there were other boxers over the last year who had died in the ring. But I think that what was most compelling about this was the relationship between Patrick Day and Joe Higgins, his trainer and, and mentor, uh, more than a trainer because he'd really uh, introduced him to the sport. And of course, the relationship between Patrick and his own family, particularly his three brothers. What's, what's challenging about it, of course, is that in essence, you're, you're telling the story about the relationship between these, these men and one of them isn't there. We can't interview one of them. There's obviously some sound and you, you hear from Patrick prior to the fight with Conwell um, and at some other points, but you know, it, it's difficult to try and get across what people mean to one another if you can't interview one of them. But I think that Joe Higgins is such a compelling character, um, so animated, so interesting, so passionate, that he, in part, speaks for Patrick. And, and you get a sense of who Patrick was through Joe, as you do from, from Patrick's brothers. His three brothers spoke so admirably and with such loss about him that you, you understand and you feel for their loss and for Patrick's own demise in this situation, because he clearly was an individual that had so much to offer. Definitely. And this 
piece will be the introduction for many people who aren't, you know, hardcore boxing fans to learn about who Patrick Day was and to really learn of Joe Higgins and their relationship. We see a lot of fighters who are father-son relationships in terms of boxer and manager. We see others who may not be father and son but have that close bond. This might be the first time people are getting insight to Patrick and Joe's bond. What's something that you learned from them during this experience that maybe you didn't know before that really sticks out? Well, I, I think you're right. I, I, and to be to be completely honest, I, I was not familiar with Patrick Day. And unfortunately for him, you only learn about him through his death. Um, and, and doesn't that seem to happen all too often, right? Mm-hmm. If, if things go according to plan, if things follow their natural course, um, you don't hear about them. It's really the extraordinary or the unusual. And then all of a sudden you're, you're made aware of somebody. And I think that sadly, and this is the case of, of Patrick Day, but I think that w- what's really special about this relationship is that you've got Patrick Day, this kid who lives across the street, two houses down from Joe Higgins. And one day he wanders into what's essentially an, an open garage where there's, you know, a heavy bag and a speed bag and a couple other instruments of boxing and, and, Patrick just takes it upon himself to try his hand at it and without invitation. And Joe <laughs> comes down and says, you know, who the heck are you? You know, I know you from the neighborhood, but, uh, and, and, but he lets him go at it because that's what Joe did. He had this gym, this makeshift gym in his garage that allowed kids to use the, the equipment. And the next day Patrick comes back and the next day after that, and he, and he proved to be pretty good at it. And before you know it, Joe says, you should come down to the real gym that we have, which is a, a rec center in the middle of town uh, in this on Long Island where they live. And, and you know, the rest goes from there. Um, but I think what Joe talks about and what made Patrick so special, and I think this is also a critical element to the story, is that Patrick came from a family that, it didn't follow the narrative of so many boxers that we hear about. He was not a hard scrabble kid. He was not coming out of the inner city. He, this wasn't, he wasn't an at risk kid, if you will. His father is a doctor. His mother is a translator who had worked at the UN. His brothers, all three older brothers had college degrees. Patrick himself in the process of moving up the amateur boxing ranks and into the pros had earned himself his college degree. So uh, this was a kid who, in essence, didn't follow the, the natural course or the traditional course, I would say, of boxers. And some might even make the case didn't need boxing, per se, because he had this wonderful family infrastructure and support, because he had a college degree. And, and then what's thrown into the mix in all this, because of perhaps all those things, um, you know, Patrick's mother did not want him boxing and had gone to Joe on a couple of occasions and said, please, you know, don't, don't expose my son to this. Um, only bad things can happen. And who knew that, you know, she could, you know, how foreshadowing that was. And as his career progressed, it's, we were told that Patrick's mom never went to a fight. She never saw him box in person. She wasn't a fan of it and would sort of monitor it through her other sons who would gather around a TV or who would go to a fight and keep her posted. 
um, through the phone. But uh, so the brothers would go to fights, mom wouldn't. And, but I think all of those elements made this an incredibly compelling story because you didn't have the traditional boxer. You had a neighbor across the street, you had the college education. And then at the end of the day, this was Patrick's passion. And that's, that's what he wanted to do. Definitely. We just saw the return of Charles Conwell for the first time on February 8th since the Patrick Day fight and uh, he stepped back in the ring. The effects that this has on the other person in the ring is also a narrative that many often forget. Um, Patrick's family, you know, we get to hear from and hear from his brothers and, and you get that sense of loss. But this is something that also kind of follows Charles around. Um, I, I think your piece really does a great job of highlighting how many people are affected. Is there? Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just wondering, is there like, did you really get that scope of like, wow, his his untimely death really had this large radius of effect on so many people? Yeah, absolutely. And and we interviewed Charles Conwell and in the end, we we didn't use him in the piece, Um, but we made the trip to Toledo, Ohio and met him and clearly uh, this has had a profound impact on Charles, uh, not enough to derail his career, which I think is is right. Um, I, I think that Joe Higgins makes that point, uh, that, that Patrick wouldn't have wanted Charles to stop boxing. Charles echoes that, that, uh, you know, if anything, by he's fighting on for Patrick. Well, we tend to grasp at those sorts of cliches, but I, th- I think that's true. And Charles made some interesting points that, you know, all of that pre-fight hoopla, if you will, um, that, that, that hype that, you know, takes place between fighters, nobody ever means it literally, um, or, or rarely, unless the two boxers have real animosity for each other. They understand it is sport. It's fight, but in sport. And, and so you, you talk a big game and why, yes, you're, you're in there to, to win, you're not in there to maim somebody um, permanently, permanently damage them and, and injure them. Or, you know, of course the worst case scenario, um, fatally punch them. Um, and, and sadly for Charles, you know, he's got to live with that. And I think there's a huge, uh, emotional mountain for him to climb in order to get back into the ring. How does, how does he fight? and think about Patrick and worry about doing this potentially to another boxer without putting himself at risk. You, you can't go in there and, and do it. You, you can't pull punches, so to speak, in the, in the, in the ring, you know, you, you gotta mm-hmm. go out there to, to, to do your job. Um, but I think Charles being a young guy himself was, uh, you know, really affected by it. And as he said, he, the same day that he found out that Charles, that Patrick had died was the day that Charles found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. And there's, I suppose, a, a, you know, that the circle of life is wrapped up in that story as well, right? Having been involved in the, in the untimely and, and uh, certainly accidental death of somebody. And then to know that you're, you've, you've helped give life to another being um, you know, that, that was, that was somewhat profound, I think for Charles. 
Um, but I, I think that, as you said, Patrick's Patrick's death radiates throughout, and you know, with Joe and with his three brothers, and certainly with his mother. And you know, we had tried to we had requested to talk to Patrick's mother. She was just not in a in a state in which she felt comfortable talking to us. I think that her health has um, been compromised as a result of this. And, you know, she's so sad and she's grieving so much that uh, her own health is, is at risk now. And, um, and so the brothers feel that. And I think you have these three brothers who feel this obviously tremendous loss while they supported their brother. And they, they felt that boxing gave him so much. Uh, and now they sit here and with, you know, left with a hole in their heart. And what's really unfortunate in all this is that you've got Joe Higgins on one hand who's grieving. You've got these, this family, the Day family and the three brothers grieving. And, and because of the proximity with which they live to one another across the street, a couple houses down, they still see each other from time to time. And it's awkward. It's strained. And, and it's really a shame, right? Because they're all grieving the same thing. They all love this person. Obviously it, it, there's different ways to love and on different levels. And he was blood to the brothers, but I think Joe had such a passion uh, and, and for, for this young man. Um, and yet the sides, they can't, they can't all really look each other in the eye today, at least not yet, which is understandable. Yeah, you know the days. the The days feel somehow Joe has some responsibility in all this, and that's natural to want to hold somebody responsible, point the finger. How could this have been? How could this have been avoided? Um, but I think you know one of the other things that we explore is the layered the layered relationship between Joe and Patrick. As you probably know, Joe was a former firefighter in the uh, New York fire department and Joe suffered a previous loss. He lost his own brother on nine 11, who was also a firefighter. And as a result in the aftermath of nine 11, Joe and cleaning up down at the site at ground zero had some serious health issues of his own. He, He was unable to continue to be a firefighter and he lost his brother. He lost his job. His health was compromised. And then he, he faces his own depression through all this, but then Patrick is the guy that helps bring him out of this. And, and so they give each other, they each give each other something, um, you know, renewed hope, life, something to strive for, something to work for. And, and then Joe loses Pat again. Um, and initially what's really interesting is initially Joe thinks like Charles Conwell, you know, Joe thinks it's time to get out of the boxing game. He says, the heck with this. You know, I, I can't, I can't lose another fighter. I can't make another kid go through this. Mm-hmm. And he really comes very close to closing down his gym. And at the end, I think with a little, with a little time and a little distance, he comes to realize that he's probably helped so many kids along the way, young fighters, um, that he doesn't want to deprive them of this opportunity. And, and he wants to continue to expose kids to the benefits of boxing, which obviously there, there are many. No. Yeah. I mean, that's the harsh reality after 
you know, watching something like this. So many people have to live on with this loss and try to, you know, do something so different than what their day-to-day life was just a few months ago. Like they were, the, the family is without a brother, without a son. He is without a fighter. Life just is very different. And, you know, we, we see that throughout this piece. And then we're coming up on a weekend where we have a fight between two heavyweights. One heavyweight, Deontay Wilder, is one of the biggest knockout artists of all time. You know, we, we see him. He's very cordial after fights. He, he says much of what you just said. This is for sport. The stuff said before this fight it is for sport. It's for selling. I, I wish no harm on no man. And he's he's much like that after the in the ring after he wins. But recently he just doubled down on his statement of saying he wants to catch a body in the ring. Meaning, you know, he... It, it's insinuating he wants to hit someone hard enough to kill them. Yeah. It, it's a little contra- you know, contradicting on his part. But when you watch a piece like this, is, is there something when you hear a fighter, especially if his profile say that, that now makes you cringe? Sure. I, it, it's you know, somebody else asked me, you know, what, what reforms does, does this require of boxing and, and should there be changes? And, and what do I think about the future of boxing? And, um, you know, I, boxing has been around since the beginning of time. Uh, it, it, you could make the case. It's not, it is not today what it once was as a sport and, and a place in this country. And, uh, you know, it, it's been replaced by other sports in terms of popularity, but, I think that when you watch fighters and I, I want to believe, maybe I'm wrong about this. I want to believe that the fighters that step into the ring don't want to permanently maim their opponents, that they are doing it for the sport of it. Um, is it, is it barbaric on some levels? I, I suppose it is, you know, the idea of getting in there and, and, how can you say, I don't really want to maim somebody, but I'm certainly going to fight them. You know, I, I got to protect myself and I'm, and I'm going to fight them and, and I'm going to punish them. And, uh, I even proposed to somebody the other day and I don't know, you know, this seems kind of crazy. I don't know whether, you know, you could ever create a boxing environment in which you said, you know, to your point, you know, we're, we're not going to punch people in the head anymore. That's going to be, you know, the same way in football, targeting. Uh, hockey's tried to make some reforms. Could could you say that we're going to box, but you have to? Everything has to be below the neck, um, and it's going to be about body punching. Not that you couldn't do some damage to somebody's kidney and otherwise, but you know that's what it's going to be. We're going to take the head out of the game. I mean, I think most people would say, well, that's not boxing, and I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's it's sort of a it's sort of a silly recommend suggestion. Um, but, uh, I, I think it's, I want to believe that the fires really don't want to do ultimate damage to the, to one another. Um, because if they do ultimately that hurts the sport, I think it, it might, it might gain the sport some attention in the short run, but I think long-term that's not good. If you had fighters 
who were getting maimed every every weekend. No, I I agree, and uh, you know, just those, those comments are stuff that you know sticks out. But again, he's you know a fighter that says he wishes nothing but the best, and you know these this is how they feed their families. Um, last question before we get out of here. You know, HBO Real Sports is known for these pieces, right? They're known for doing the journalism that other people either will not do anymore, if we're just being honest about the culture now, or mm -hmm. don't care to do because of clicks and monetary value. How important is it for you personally to still bring these stories and to, you know, go to these fighters' homes and talk to the brothers, the trainers, and to go to Ohio, like you said, and talk to the fighter who was in the ring with him to really do these pieces that tell these stories how they should be told in a day and age where, if we're being honest, people's attention spans seem shorter than ever. Selfishly, I will, I will never get tired of meeting different people from different walks of life in different pursuits, different athletic endeavors, and hear about their inner thoughts and their hopes and their dreams and their disappointments and their failures uh, and celebrating their triumphs. Uh, to, to meet a Charles Conwell, to understand where this young man comes from, where he hopes to go, how the bumps that he has faced along the way and this is more than a bump uh, for him, but he's he's overcome it. To meet a character like Joe Higgins, who if if one day somebody made a movie about the Patrick Day story or the Patrick Day and Joe Higgins relationship, even if you were to dramatize it and it was a scripted feature-length film in Hollywood, I, I don't know that you'd even want to cast somebody other than Joe Higgins himself if, if he could learn to act a little bit. You can't go to central casting and find a better character than, than Joe Higgins. So the opportunity, again, selfishly, for me to meet these people and continue to tell these stories. As you know, real sports, we are not a scorecard. We are not your, your agate page of the newspaper. We're not telling you results and and top scores and leading uh you know, the winners and the losers. That's not what we're about. We are about going deeper than that. We're about interviewing people and hearing their stories. And, and I think that, as you mentioned, in this day and age, it's still critical that we survive and we keep our, some people may say we're gasping for our last breaths. I don't think so. We've been on the air for 25 years. And I, and I think that I can tell you from when I travel around the country and just by the number of people who will stop me in an airport and say, Hey, love watching the show and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that we're still, I think the show and the stories that we're telling are still resonating with people. And I think we are still serving a, a very good purpose for a lot of people. And there are others who have come and gone since then and tried to do what we do for some reason, we've, we've found the right recipe and, and we've done it well and we've got an incredible staff. And I think whether it's boxing or it's horse racing and it's in, or it's investigative stories or it's simply profiles and, and features about people and human interest stories, I think that there's always going to be a place for real sports. I, I hope the attention span doesn't dwindle so much so that people can only watch things that are two and three minutes long. 
No, you know, as a person who grew up with real sports, I will tell you firsthand, it is appreciated, you know, the work that you do and everyone else on the staff does. And I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. And we appreciate you coming on the show today to speak with us. Once again, everyone, HBO Real Sports correspondent, John Frankel, uh, amazing story. Everyone, make sure you guys tune in, please. It is on the 25th of this month on uh, HBO. You guys can catch the segment. It is going to be great. Make sure you guys keep an eye out for that. John, again, I can't say thank you enough. Thank you for coming uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time and the interest to talk to us about it. And uh, yeah, HBO uh, later this month. And of course, HBO Go, HBO Now, and lots of ways to catch it. That's pretty much all the time we have for our show today. Thank you guys for listening. Shout out to the sponsors. As always, make sure you guys support the podcast. Shout out to the new network, Blue Wire. It's great to be on here. Three shows every week. Check us out on Friday as well it's a crazy week but we'll pump out a show for you guys when we you know get a nice little break in the schedule follow us on social media at corner podcast underscore me at kel dansby him at andreas hale i'm gonna finish this white claw because it's getting a bit room temperature so i gotta chug this like moxley after a match dre i will see you around the fight thank you guys for right now we're out peace Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.